Welcome to the latest installment of the Baked and Awake Show, where we get together usually once a week and chop it up about all things cannabis here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. I tend to open most episodes with some light cannabis consumption and a bit of conversation about everybody's favorite semi-illicit houseplant. Once we're good and stony, we'll turn things towards interesting stories, mysteries, and popular, unpopular, and sometimes obscure conspiracy theories, especially those with connections to the Pacific Northwest. Note. Hosts and guests record the show in Washington State. All cannabis use is legal and conducted with as much decorum as possible while still having fun. Viewers and listeners should be adults and understand that this show is not suitable for children. The content creator does not advocate or promote the use of underage drugs, underage use of drugs, alcohol, or cannabis, nor excessive use of the same by adults caring for or closely associated with children. We are responsible adults, parents, and we think decent folks. We'll hold ourselves to a reasonably high standard for class and taste, and you should too. And with that fine print out of the way... I'd like to formally welcome you back to the episode. Tonight's episode of Baked and Awake is episode number four, and I'm happy to say that thus far we have produced weekly since debuting four weeks ago. It's September 1st, 2017, and I'm your host, Steve Kaminsky. Thank you, everyone, everywhere, and any time you happen to be listening to this, be it now or 10 years from now in the future, for joining us for our latest show. I'm excited to share with you some really fun cannabis-related trivia today and maybe a little bit more. We are also going to continue our journey through time via our www.rediscoverpot.org hemp history timeline starting at just about 1800, where we found ourselves beginning to see the modern era loom close on the horizon for both humanity and our intrepid companions, Indica and Sativa. From there, we'll probably take a big old dab before diving in deep on an equally major double mystery. Those were the strange deaths by misadventure suffered by budding Hollywood star Brandon Lee, 28 years old at the time of his tragic death. Brandon was killed during the filming of his breakthrough role as Eric Draven, the starring character of the movie The Crow. Classic, gothic, black and white comic book of the 1980s and early 90s by, I believe, J.O. Barr. Uh, Brandon's death was preceded 20 years prior with the equally untimely demise of his now legendary father, Bruce Lee, international martial arts movie superstar, just on the verge of cementing that place in time and history at the time of his death while filming a movie of his own, Game of Death, which became Bruce's last film. Finished posthumously, similarly to The Crow, by the production companies after their leads were lost. Um, 
in both cases, the deaths were unresolved initially, in particular at first, uh, leading to numerous conspiracy theories, first about Bruce's death in 1973, and then all over again, perhaps twice as hard in 1993 when we lost Brandon. Um, a really interesting story, one some of you may be familiar with some of the details of. Um, others of you who may be a little younger and, uh, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, fans of modern mixed martial arts stars and uh, modern action heroes such as Donnie Yen and uh, Tony Jaa, uh, our, our, the amazing Ong Bak uh, actor uh, who developed that character. Uh, and others, uh, you know, Bruce Lee really um, birthed this genre in the modern form as we see it today. He is the archetype for every one of our modern action martial arts stars um, from from traditional Asian stars like Donnie Yen and others who, um, you know, Jackie Chan and others who we've mentioned and actors and, and stars like Jackie Chan who worked with Bruce Lee when they were young actors as well uh, to, you know, to Western uh, martial arts stars. Um, you know, uh, not to, you know, Chuck Norris was a contemporary of Bruce's and by no means uh, per se a student. They, they did work out together. I, I have included some fun stuff uh, in the show links uh, that um, includes some interviews and reminiscence uh, by different folks about both Bruce and Brandon Lee, one of which is Chuck Norris, uh, uh, recollecting fondly his relationship with Bruce. Um, but uh, many Western uh, stars to follow, Bruce, uh, Steven Seagal, and, and many others, uh, Michael Dudikoff in the, in the 80s and 90s, the American Ninja uh, Dude, um, and many others. Um, you know, I mean, he, he, he's, as I said, he's everybody's idol. He is the legend. He is the dragon. He is spectacular to watch. His movies still hold up uh, to viewing today. Uh, you, can, you can still see uh, Bruce's brilliance, his charisma, his humor, his uh, vitality in uh, every moment on screen uh, in, his, uh, in his films today, and uh, which uh, stands in stark contrast to many of the kung fu movies and martial arts type uh, films that came before uh, his, uh, with some notable exceptions, those including films uh, by greats such as Akira Kurosawa and others. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> anyway, we're going to have a great time with Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee. Um, Lee family curse uh, story and um, we're going to get to that after our uh, usual uh, time spent uh, in baked land uh, and having some fun with uh, this week's strain of the week uh, which will be uh, the OG family and uh, we'll spend some time talking about and enjoying some OGs today together for once we've got the strain of the week that we are discussing at the strain of the week. So it only took four episodes to get there, but we did it. Uh, so, uh, you know, jumping into tonight's agenda, um, events, uh, 
I do have a cannabis expo coming up at the end of the month in Spokane, Washington. It's the King Cannabis Expo. It appears to be pretty I-502. Um, Washington legal cannabis industry and medical cannabis industry um, oriented, uh, you know, for professionals working in that industry. I see a lot of um, uh, seminars and talks on things like marketing, on branding, on traceability, on payment processing, on the future of the industry, on what data analytics and numbers the industry is currently tracking and looking at over the um, next upcoming, uh, you know, months and, and years. Um it's a Friday and Saturday event. I'm going to include the King Cannabis Expo link in the show notes uh, for you. I'm definitely considering um, attending at this point in time as a uh, floor walking uh, cruiser. Um, and uh, if anybody uh, hears this in a timely fashion and, uh, you know, is still looking, this is September 1st right now, so we've got weeks to go before uh, the event itself. But if you're thinking about attending and you're planning on attending uh, and you end up uh, making those plans and you'd like to say hi to me while you're out there uh, please reach out email uh, leave a comment uh, you know there's numerous ways obviously through the website and through the um, distribution platforms that you may have found us through be that SoundCloud be that Google Play be that Libsyn be that uh, YouTube um, most of them have some sort of contact me link uh, operational and uh, working that will allow you to uh, ping me from any of those. And uh, maybe we can say hello out in Spokane uh, at the end of this month. Uh, we may talk about it a little bit more between now and then, um, you know, as it gets closer and as I firm up my plans. So uh, let's look forward to that one. Those of you who are out here in the Pacific Northwest and looking forward to staying busy this fall. Uh, it looks like an interesting uh, Canacon class uh, level uh, positioned event that uh, is in a different venue than Canacon. And, uh, you know, I always enjoy going to Spokane other than the long, boring drive out there. It's great once you're there. Um, it's interesting and cool to check out the Spokane shops, the Spokane grows, the brands that are in the retail shops out there, uh, and the strains that are popular out there. Uh, all that sort of stuff is all just a little bit different on the east side of the mountains. So, um, you know, plenty of good reasons to jump in the car and haul your carcass out east uh, for a Friday and Saturday. Um, maybe stay on Sunday and enjoy the, the town a bit uh, before, you know, rolling out back home to the west side. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, just also wanted to, uh, on the event side, uh, super briefly take a moment, um, make a couple of follow-up comments about my recent trip to Hempfest with my family. Uh, I wanted to um, observe to you, the faithful listener, that, you know, if you did listen to last episode, episode three, where I recounted our uh, the fun time we had at the event, um, you know, Hempfest is a family event. Uh, Nicole, as I mentioned, is a Interlake High School uh, math teacher uh, here in Bellevue School District. She doesn't partake in cannabis, never really has. Um, she has you know, uh, perhaps humored me once or twice by taking the, the tiniest of puffs off of something. Um, and I literally mean I could count it on my hand the number of times she's done that. Um, and we've experimented just a little bit with edibles here and there, sometimes with really mixed results. Um, and I'm definitely planning a future episode on edibles to talk about that, um, you know, even from my own personal standpoint of experience, but um, with some with some added color perhaps from Nicole about... Um, how some of those experiences have been for her. Um, but, you know, I mentioned in that, uh, in that episode of the podcast that, you know, 
Nicole bumped into, you know, several students down there uh, or former students. And, uh, you know, I just want to remind everybody that, as I said, uh, my wife doesn't partake. She supports my lifestyle and uh, my career and doesn't has never given me a moment's grief over uh, my cannabis use. It's not her. Um drug or medicine of choice for most stuff she loves cbd type products and and lotions and things um and when when uh she has occasion to check those out she's always excited for that kind of uh thing uh so you know we weren't partaking with any uh young students former students uh anyone under 21 uh, you know, I, although I did smoke a joint while at Hempfest, it was while trailing my family by a good 30 feet from behind. I don't even think either of the boys knew that uh, Daddy was uh, partaking at 420 when everybody else was uh, that afternoon, which was when I did that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, my point in, in bringing it up last time was to point out how cool it was, how how normal it was, how real and natural it felt to have those students greet Nicole as a friend in the wild and be happy to see her. Her, in turn, feel comfortable and happy seeing them and not embarrassed. Uh, she declined one, you know, selfie photo op uh, for uh, perhaps obvious reasons of decorum uh, with one with one young lady. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was a good time. Uh, that's all I really want to say on that topic uh, is is really just to, you know, make sure I'm clearing my good wife's name and reputation and that of her profession and her professionalism and, uh, you know, the, the very real connection that she does have with uh, these kids uh, and that I love getting to see and be exposed to because it always reminds uh, me how fortunate we are to have her. Uh, in our lives, uh, both the boys and myself. Uh, and, uh, you know, I get to see what an impact uh, she makes for other folks as well. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's my, you know, wrap up on on Hempfest Reflections. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, didn't see any of those young kids partaking. You know, do young kids partake at the Hempfest? Undoubtedly, I... You know, I think I bummed a puff off of somebody back in the day when I went to one of the early ones. Um, you know, got a joint passed to me in the crowd listening to some music. But, you know, I didn't witness any of that personally this year at all. And, you know, we weren't down by the music uh, in the crowd uh, hanging out on the grass in front of the stage or anything either where we'd be more in the mix. Um, you know, we were kind of just cruising the circuit. But, uh, yeah, so that was events. That was Hempfest. Um uh, uh, reflections and uh, the King Cannabis Expo in Spokane coming up. Uh, one uh, tiny piece of old business. Last episode, we mentioned the word delineate, and I said I would look it up, which I did do. Uh, it's a verb, delineate, third person present. Uh, delineates, past tense, delineated, past participle. Uh, delineated, gerund or present participle, delineating. Uh, first definition number one here says to describe or portray something precisely. I was theorizing that um, perhaps Linnaeus, who uh, had classified the indica and sativa um, genotypes of cannabis uh, on our hemp history timeline, uh, perhaps had been named for or had the word uh, delineate named uh, in honor of him. 
that is not the case. Uh, Carl Linnaeus, who is who um, was referenced on the Hemp History timeline and follow up to our uh, understanding of the definition of the word delineate, uh, which means to trace the outline of something, and it does come from Latin. Um, de, out completely, and linear, meaning line. Linea, lineare, uh, meaning line. Uh, so delineare was the original word. Delineat, uh, D-E-L-I-N-E-A-T. Uh, you know, trace the outline of something. But uh, Carl Linnaeus, famous for his work in taxonomy, uh, he's uh, not the namesake of delineate in any way, shape, or form that I can tell. Um, his work in taxonomy is the science of identifying, naming, and classifying organisms, plants, animals, bacteria, fungi, etc. He was born in 1707. Um, I've got a link to a uh, what appears to be a, a Carl Linnaeus like appreciation society or something like that. Uh, you know, history uh, website. Uh, interesting info about him. He appears to have been a plant nut for the most part, um, a gardener, and um, you know, conservationist. So, uh, cool dude. Um, I don't know if he was cool or not, but he's cool now to me. Um, and uh, not, however, named for the word delineate that I can tell. Um, all right. All right. All right. Uh, I think I'm going to hit the pause button and briefly set up for a dab. Um, we are messing with the OG strains this week, and I have some fun trivia and info for you about the OGs that I can't wait to tell you all about. So uh, give me a quick minute, take a moment yourself, maybe hit that pause button and roll something up or pack a freshie, uh, you know, get that torch ready uh, and uh, get ready to join me in a dab when we come back in just a moment. All right, welcome back. We're about 18 minutes into the recording, and I have just taken a uh, relatively longer break than I had planned. Uh, I did take a dab on you guys. Sorry, I hope you all dabbed on me as well while I was gone, if you figured out what was transpiring. Uh, listened to some of my audio and um, twiddled a couple of my dials on the mixer here, hoping we'll get some additional amplification out of the microphone here uh, for the second half. Uh, and uh, looked up a couple more little items about uh, some of the things that we're going to look into and explore later today here. Um, and uh, had a little scare, too, for a moment there with my recording. And... Uh, Darn near deleted the first 18 minutes of this uh, episode and lost it right after I recorded it, which probably would have uh, shortly precipitated going to bed and uh, trying again tomorrow. But uh, yeah, it's 12.41 a.m. We are back. We're baked and awake. It's the middle of the night, so in a sense, we are really doing that baked and awake double entendre, living it in 3 and 4D. Uh, so, you know... We found some fun stuff about OG strains. I took a, I took a quick dab while I was gone, like I said, and we'll take another one together here. Um, 
I ran down to Clutch Cannabis at the bottom of the hill this morning down there in Renton. Great folks. Uh, always love going to Clutch because they're close and they're super streamlined. They're just fast inside there. There's no malarkey and they got a great selection uh, always and uh, fair pricing and uh, they seem to know their stuff. So uh, I went in there with the oddly specific request of uh, needing some OGs <clears throat> of whatever stripe this morning and a fellow named Barry helped me out and took good care of me and uh, I hope he eventually listens to this podcast and finds out how we enjoyed the things we picked up down at the shop. Um, so I've got here some uh, like terpene sauce, you know, terpene uh, butter type uh, product and that's like a, you know, 65-70% THC uh, concentrate is from Blue Roots. Yeah, so they call it a terpene sugar. And it is. It's pretty. It's um, bright colored, um, you know, uh, yellowy, caramely colored. Great smell to it, as you would hope, out of something uh, that's being billed as a terpene, uh, you know, heavy product. Uh, terp sugars are going to be higher in terpene profile than some of the shatters and higher... Uh, THC concentrates that tip into the, you know, 70s, 80s. You can get some sugars uh, in the 70s and, and stuff uh, by all means, but um, you tend to see a lot of them in this uh, 60, 65% uh, range. Uh, more than strong enough to constitute a great dab, and you can definitely get in trouble with them like any dab uh, if you overdo it. Um, but, uh, you know, a few points lower than some of the hardest of the stuff that you'll come across. Um, uh, OG Chem, cool strain. Uh, that's a OG, uh, I believe, um, it, I want to say it's an OG Kush crossed with Chem. And uh, we're going to talk more specifically about the, or more generally about the OGs. Um, and uh, a great definition that I found uh, on them. And I looked up a couple different ones and, and have another one. Uh, sort of uh, popped up in the buffer here from high times in the in the background uh, close this tab before I run out of memory and get in trouble here on us all everybody um, but yeah so I went to medicaljane.com and got some cool info from them that I liked I'm gonna read you most of their description include their uh, link, of course, in the show notes for you. Um, you know, put a lot of work into trying to make sure that I give you folks a jumping off point for your own follow-up. If I bring it up in the show and mention it by name, I'll try to point you at it wherever I can find it online uh, in the hopes that, you know, you then cruise out there take a peek yourself uh, especially on you know some of the second you know side of the second half of the show the uh the conspiracy and mystery stuff that we cover but uh, by all means with cannabis stuff as well we're all learning constantly about cannabis there is room for debate on a lot of topics whether that's cbds whether that's terps whether that's the entourage effect of uh both of those on the human body and the endocannabinoid system um etc 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 you know uh, whole cannabis uh, plants and eating cannabis uh, plants consuming it as part of your diet and you know 
when to, how to, how not to, uh, decarboxylate, etc. What is all this uh, mumbo jumbo? It's all jargon. It's all vocabulary. We're going to talk about it um, week by week around here. That's what it's about. And you don't need to be a big old toker like me to find some of this stuff is kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, you might be into gardening. You might be into horticulture a little bit. You might be into just relating with your many stoner friends on a little bit more of a uh, real level. Um, we'll uh, chug a tea there. Keep it going here late at night. But yeah, medicaljane.com. So, you know, OG Kush uh, is the strain that, you know, most of us have heard of when we heard OG first. Then, you know, Tahoe OG, uh, Lemon OG, uh, you know, OGs are crossed with lots of stuff these days. As I said, OG Chem is a popular uh, hybrid uh, of OG. I got some flour here as well that I'm actually pretty hyped to try. Um, from Lifted Cannabis, who I think is in Tacoma, not far from where um, I'm working these days. And uh, Lifted has 501st OG. I don't know if this is named for the 501st Airborne Division. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, didn't mean to get some militarized uh, pot if I did, but um, read a description of that that I'll read you that made it sound great. It looked really great. Um, the stuff that I've got looks really great. Um, may not get to that tonight. We're dabbing, but uh, I'm digging it, and it looks like it's going to be a good time. We may open it and smell it. So, uh, you know, what do you think OG stands for? Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. Original gangster, right? Right? Of course. Of course. Of course we're all totally wrong. No. What? Yeah. That's right. OG don't mean original gangster at least as far as I can tell. Although there is a strain that goes by that name, just OG, and I don't know if it's still popular or extant, but it was popular in California in the 90s, something just called OG. But crucially, here's the description from Medical Jane, and they do a much better job than I. The debate over the genetics of OG Kush and what exactly OG stands for has been a heated topic of discussion for many years. Here is what we do know. It has gained a sort of mythical reputation and has become one of the most sought after strains in California. Although the strain is relatively popular on dispensary menus, the extremely high demand causes some prices to get as high as $30 per gram and $80 per eighth. California prices. I don't know you guys. Tell me if that stuff's real. Yikes. Uh, okay, despite the drawbacks, OG Kush is in high demand. People seek it out mainly because of its unique taste, scent, look, feel, and euphoric high, which is definitely not for the faint of heart. The compact buds are almost neon green in color, with heavy crystallization that will leave your fingers extremely sticky after handling. When grown properly, the strain is a delicacy that deserves a spot on every cannabis enthusiast's wish list. While many websites and dispensaries list OG Kush as an indica, many people argue that the strain is in fact a sativa or some sort of sativa-dominant hybrid. We can't exactly argue with them, considering the genetics are for the most part unknown and stem purely from myth. The thing to remember is that most of the different types of OGs are phenotypes of the original OG Kush plant from the 90s. A phenotype, and this is good vocabulary here, so thank you, Medical Jane. A phenotype is simply a difference in the outward physical appearance of the plant. 
Okay, everybody? So get that one straight. When somebody's talking about their phenotype of something, it just means it looks a little different than the one down the block. That's important and might mean something, but that's a phenotype. So what does that constitute? This includes the atoms, molecules, cell structures, metabolism, and basically everything else that is a function or behavior of a plant. Different smells, tastes, and effects, in parentheses. There is an endless amount of marijuana phenotypes beyond sativa and indica. When you examine different types of pure indicas, there are obvious differences in traits across the strains. What this means is that two different seeds from the same mother plant, same genotype, can have significant variation in the resulting plants. Phenotype. Okay, so two seeds from the same mother, not two clones from the same mother, two seeds from the same mother. They're the same genotype. They can express different phenotypes. Their characteristics may differ upon germination and growing. This is thought to occur in some hybrid plants because the sativa gene is recessive. A plant with a 60-40 cross in favor of sativa can produce seeds with a dominance of indica traits, essentially resulting in two completely different strains. Although people modestly classify them as hybrids, we believe these phenotypes are far more complex than that and deserve more accurate categorization in the future. Seed finder lists OG Kush as indica with a family tree stemming from Camdog. Camdog crossed with Lemon Thai crossed with Old World Packy Kush. However, a number of debaters argue that OG Kush is simply a phenotype of Chemdog that is a result of years of stabilization and finding the perfect fertilizers. So, this is, uh, all right, so here's the urban myth. Um, let me give you the paragraph leading into it, and then we'll, we'll get it. Kailua Kid from the Sierra Seed Company believes that in the latter part of 1993, a grower in Northern California got his hands on the famous Chemdog strain. He goes on to say, summarized from Seed Finder, and I'm summarizing from Medical Jane, that this was shared with a fellow grower from Sunset Beach who claimed he had a male that was, quote, the secret ingredient for breeding. The male was a cross of lemon tie and an old world packy kush, parentheses, possibly where the kush came from, and was an ideal mix for the Chemdog. The buds became wildly popular in Los Angeles by 1995. Okay, so this would have been when we were first started hearing about OG. OG Kush in particular. The urban myth, here's the fun part, is that the original grower of the new strain was handed a bowl when his friend mentioned that the Kush he was about to smoke was, quote, so good because it was mountain grown. Upon further inspection, the grower detected the recognizable scent of his own crop and corrected the man by saying, Quote, this kush isn't mountain-grown. It's ocean-grown kush, bro. Ocean-grown. OG. From that point on, the name ocean-grown kush caught on and was shortened to OG kush over time. So they go on for another couple of paragraphs. They have a, another couple of possible references here, including some who believe that 
the OG is a memorial to Overgrown.com, which was the world's largest cannabis grow site until 2006 when they were shut down by the Canadian police for illegally distributing seeds, quote-unquote. Others believe that OG stands for Original Gangster, which we've already established, which was a strain from the San Fernando, Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. It is thought that this is the plant that produced the OGs that became so famous in Southern California, putting the area on the medical marijuana map. So, there you go. They leave it as a question on medicaljane.com, and I do as well. Uh, maybe you refute our claims, our possibilities here that are uh, posited in this article. Uh, High Times uh, basically uh, says it's, you know, a little bit uh, more of a high level just descriptor of what an OG presents like. I'll include it in the show notes just for fun. They don't get into that fun history that Medical Jane did. So, um, checking our time. And yeah, we're at 32 minutes. So let's dab and talk at the same time. Let's see if we can do it in 27 minutes. The story of Bruce and Brandon Lee and the so-called Lee family curse, which I want to say up front, I don't really truly believe in the Lee family curse, not to spoiler alert and jump right off, uh, you know, on one side of the story or the other out of the gate here. Um, the circumstances of both deaths are highly irregular and super weird. And if you've never heard them, you will be suitably... Uh, stupefied by how this went down for both of these fellows but uh i'm gonna quickly avail myself of a little bit of the og chem to get ourselves in the mood and we'll do it together here if you're listening to this uh you know i hope you i hope you smoke up while you're hanging out with me and uh Leave a comment as to what you enjoyed while we were sitting here talking about the OGs and uh, comment on the, uh, you know, veracity of my story about OGs as MedicalJane.com presented and uh, as I have also heard uh, in uh, recent uh, conversations, uh, which is how I became aware of this myself uh, and uh, just a few weeks ago and I meant to include it on a previous episode, but got around to it uh, now and I think gave it slightly better treatment for having waited um, and looking looking into it a little further. So, um, you know, doing a traditional low temp dab, I'm not going to do a formal count here. I'm uh, just going to, you know, sort of hover my hand over my uh, little quartz banger bowl and uh, use my lovely glass poker that my buddy Gorilla Steve made me. Um, here and just have a real small, flavorful, terpy dab. Um, yeah, you know, that's what the, those sugars, they're fun. They're flavorful. So dab them at low temp, enjoy the terps, enjoy that sweetness, enjoy that tanginess. Um, there's a lot of flavor that can unfold there. It's, it's really neat. And the, um, you know, extraction folks work hard to, you know, present that in there in their extracts for us. So here we go.
All right. All right. So uh, again, before we really begin, I want to, you know, really just say um, Bruce Lee was an idol of mine growing up. He was light years ahead of his contemporaries. Okay. Um, and uh, kung fu movies were still a fringe niche back uh, when I was a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s. But, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I was a little kid, so I wasn't, like, going to movie theaters. I was catching this stuff on TV on summer vacation, but it was on all summer long, every summer, growing up in New York, on Long Island, um, in the 70s and 80s. And this is, like, stuff pre-Bruce Lee kung fu movies. Low-budget, weird action movies. Um, they were really cool, though. I mean, you know, what else were we watching instead of that on summer vacation? I'll tell you what. The Waltons, okay? Uh Andy Griffith, Happy Days, stuff like that. Uh, Green Acres, Gilligan's Island, you know, uh, fucking Little House on the Prairie. So, you know, uh, <coughs> excuse me. That was a yummy dab, though. Um, you know, contrast stuff like that to these kung fu action movies, you know, pre-Bruce Lee stuff that I was watching. I mean, Brave Warriors, Beautiful Damsels. Damsels had swords and pikes and obscure weapons of their own. Um, creepy, unbelievable, seemingly supernatural old monks, generals, and kung fu wizards. I mean, these were movies. This was, you know, cool stuff. Um, old Shaolin monk Kung Fu movies, Wu Tang Clan. You know, you've seen them on Amazon Prime these days, and on your, on your, you know, Hulu action movie sub menus and stuff, uh, and in Netflix and stuff. You know, you can watch these old movies. They're they're not easy to watch though, most of them anymore. They're pretty, um, you know, laughable anymore. They're hard to watch. They're hard to watch. They're just cheesy. Um, not so Bruce Lee's movies. Okay, um, they were revolutionary at the time uh in terms of production value in terms of you know impression they they hit they hit like real movies like uh western box office movies and um so they had mass appeal um you know bruce lee stood head and shoulders above everyone in in the you know martial arts genres at the time and and you know, as I said, with, with few notable exceptions, like the Kurosawa films that came before him. And they were very different things than Bruce Lee's, you know, very modern feeling, very peppy um, and uh, fun somehow, uh, you know, but horribly violent, of course, uh, martial arts movies. Um, you know, like we see everywhere today. I mean, every anime is a hyper-stylized version of, uh, you know, Bruce Lee's real life personage and to a, to a great extent and I bet you most anime I bet you the Dragon Ball Z creator would probably concede to some extent that that's the case but obviously that's my own bullshit so anyway so I, I'm saying I'm 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 telling you a story tonight I'm not really positing this conspiracy theory as truth these deaths are you know uh, 25 and 44 years in the past respectively okay um bruce lee 
if he was still around today, if he was, if his uh, prime years had coincided more with the modern era, with today, uh, you know, his style, Jeet Kune Do, which is still a, a martial arts school today uh, and practiced by perhaps millions around the world, um, it, that name, Jeet Kune Do, uh, means the way of the intercepting fist, uh, and it is Bruce Lee's own um, developed style uh, of uh, martial arts, and it can't properly be called Kung Fu or Karate or Taekwondo or Jiu-Jitsu or Judo or Tai Chi or what have you. Um, it is a combination of over 23 different martial arts disciplines, uh, weapons, barehanded, etc., uh, elements of Western boxing, wrestling, and more. I mean, this guy was mixed martial arts before mixed martial arts was mixed martial arts. A lot of what he did made traditionalists very upset because he was taking from wherever he wanted. And this isn't some guy who was born into it uh, either. <laughs> he was born into acting. He was, you know, a son of an actor um, and an a opera singer. Um, he, but he, he didn't start Kung Fu until he was like 13 years old. Uh, and, and when he started Kung Fu, it was Wing Chun, uh, karate, uh, not, not karate, excuse me, Wing Chun, which I believe is a Chinese boxing form, uh, beautiful form. It's depicted really super cool in the modern Ip Man, uh, franchise of action movies with Donnie Yen, the ridiculously awesome Donnie Yen as the, uh, lead in three of those movies with a weird, like fourth Ip Man three uh, movie with an older dude depicting Yip Man Ip Man uh, in it uh, also really good and well done um, that you can find out there that's kicking around that came out in between the Donny one of the Donny Yens um, but great movies uh, and you know they're highly dramatized but uh, that gentleman yep man who was i guess the biggest proliferator of the wing chun style in china at that time and you know a generation older than bruce lee and you know his boys um his contemporaries um you know he taught all the best who came after him and you know his sons and and people who have learned from him you know choreograph uh you know action scenes all over the world to this day um and, and train people uh, everywhere to this day um, in Wing Chun. And uh, at any rate, uh, Bruce, who himself, uh, and I'm veering off of my uh, script just a little bit here, uh, but it'll come back around probably on my bullet points here. Um, when he did start Kung Fu at like age 13 and started in class in the normal, you know, walked in the front door of Yip Man's uh, dojo his school and and you know tried to become part of uh his student body and uh was quickly sort of not really drummed out so much as sort of you know shamed out of uh class uh, both through direct taunting of him and then appeals to uh the uh shifu that bruce who was one quarter english on his um eurasian mother's side from what i understand you know wasn't didn't constitute a good enough student you know they 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 didn't want uh outsiders being taught uh 
there, the fighting style, uh, you know, and, and that was a tradition, not just, you know, that student body class, that was the tradition of the time. And so, you know, they differentiated Bruce in this way and uh, sort of forced him into a situation where he outwardly seemed to leave the school, but was, in fact, was able to receive some additional training from Yip Man privately um, and, you know, uh, got a lot from it, obviously, um, and always, you know, cited that uh, later on uh, as one of his biggest influences. Um, and you can see a lot of that in his uh, Jeet Kune Do, for sure. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff in Wing Chun when you see it demonstrated and when you see it shown in, uh, by Donnie Yen in the uh, Ip Man films. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, we're doing this to honor their memories, and uh, we are not going to make time probably, we'll see, 45 minutes. we got 15 minutes. Um, we're not here to speculate uselessly on those deaths, though. Um, the Lee family's never supported or given breath to the many theories surrounding the circumstances of these uh, both men's demises. Uh, I do feel it's only fair to point that out uh, before we go on. Um, Ken, Bruce, and Brandon Lee's deaths, all too young at age 32 and 28 respectively, be laid at the feet of Chinese triads, Japanese gangsters, or even a dreaded family curse that predates either of them, were both men's demises nothing more than pure bad luck and outrageous coincidence. To help understand that, I have some bullet points. Top of that is Bruce's parents feared a demon was after their son. Okay, very religious and somewhat superstitious uh, folks. Um, you know, uh, they did lose a son, an older brother, to Bruce Lee uh, at a young age uh, to an unspecified illness or uh, cause that uh, I d do not know. Um, I don't think uh, it's commonly understood how he died. They uh, named and referred to Bruce as Little Phoenix, which was commonly understood to be a girl's Chinese name uh, throughout much of his uh, early childhood in order to uh, supposedly confuse said demon uh, who would not understand uh, or recognize the boy child the demon was said to uh, you know, the, 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 the family curse was supposed to be that there was a demon that haunted the family and the demon only targeted the male members of the family. Okay. Get it, spit it out, Steve. There it is. Um, number two, rumors of a feud between Bruce Lee, a prolific teacher of Western students himself and the Chinese triads who didn't want the secrets of their martial arts disseminated. Okay. That's the, that one rumor about his particular uh, circumstances for Bruce. Uh, Bruce was plagued himself by some sort of prophetic dreams or visions of his own early death. He was said to uh, not uh, have expected to live past half his father's own uh, age of his death, which was 64. And as we've already said, Bruce himself died at 32. So super weird to me. Uh, or at least a little weird. Um, number four, uh, Bruce's character in Game of Death. Before the plot was modified after his death, 
to be all rigmarole so that they could get it finished because they really only had like less than half a movie on Game of Death before he died. Um, so it's short and super chopped up. So it's a harder, harder watch. Um, uh, his character is shot by a would-be assassin in the film in a scene. So uh, he, the character lives and then goes on to exact his revenge and try to save his brother and sister at the top of the Game of Death Tower. Uh, that all gets changed around later afterwards. So, uh, number five, Bruce collapses while filming Game of Death, um, and then, you know, is diagnosed with the cerebral edema that later, um, seems to present on the night of his death two months later while still filming the same film, working on the same film. Uh, so, you know, this is from an apparent allergic reaction to a uh, pill called Equagesic. It is a unusual sort of painkiller slash muscle relaxer, um, Tylenol, heavy Tylenol, and a muscle relaxer of some kind um, that a uh, lady friend and fellow actor on that movie gave him when he was visiting and resting uh, in the later part of the day. I think they still had to either film again or make an appearance again that night. It was one of those things where they were grinding on the movie. Uh, he laid down on her couch to rest after taking one pill um, and lapsed into a apparent coma, uh, was rushed to the hospital, was not revived, uh, was not able to be you know, revived to consciousness, and within one day passed away. Uh, under two days, passed away uh, in the coma. Um, it was later ascribed to cerebral edema, uh, brought on by that allergic reaction. Uh, as we'll discuss, he had some reasons. Uh, you know, Bruce Lee, if you if you know him at all, was you know a paragon of uh, apparent physical health. He was a, a ridiculously uh, fastidious exerciser. Uh, you know, he you know had great uh, seeming physical strength and uh, worked out virtually every day of his life and, you know, ate great, uh, cooked for himself and cooked for his family and, and, you know, took care of his body, you know, coming and going. He did have a back injury that he sustained, just working out too, not even sparring or anything um, at his home. His wife was there um, and, uh, you know, saw it happen. And uh, it plagued him, and he did take some painkillers now and then to deal with that, obviously, uh, while filming and working out. Um, and I don't think anybody ever uh, characterized him as a drug addict or anything like that. I will say this, and it's on our bullet points a little bit further down. Um, well, yeah, he was a cannabis user, so we'll talk about that later. <clears throat> um, but... Uh, so a little neat tie-in for us, uh, you know, just to know. I was wondering it, and then it, it was presented that that was the case. Um, so, Equagesic, look it up. Um, I do have a link on that one in this in these bullet points. Um, Brandon's character in uh, his origin story... Uh, okay, uh in the crow is shot and killed 
Lee is himself killed during the film of this scene, Brandon, on day 50 of production of the seemingly already bad luck plagued movie while filming that very origin scene. Okay, so, yeah, that's the spoiler on Brandon is, you know, 20 years later after Bruce dies, at the height of his career, at the moment of his, of his, you know, Enter the Dragon had debuted to something preposterous like $11 million in sales was the highest grossing martial arts movie after his last two movies had been the highest grossing martial arts movies of ever, ever in Asia. And, and the highest grossing movies, excuse me, in Asia of the era. Prior to that, it had been like The Sound of Music um, with a couple of million dollars. Um, but, you know, The Big Boss and The Chinese Connection had made two and three million dollars or more, respectively, each. Um, three million or four million uh, each. Not important. They were wildly popular. Uh, we've got seven minutes to go. We'll see how far we can get on this. We did skip Hemp History Timeline tonight. We'll bring it back next weekend. Um, look in show notes all about the uh, baked stuff, the OG information. Tons of links I actually included there for you. Um, so Brandon shot on day 50 of his own movie, and I'll tell you how in just a minute. Um, number seven, though, um, released just prior to... Brandley's The Crow in 1992, a Bruce Lee biopic called Dragon, the Bruce Lee Story. I saw this when it came out. It was starred a guy named Jason Scott Lee, no relation. Uh, it featured a climactic and highly dramatized scene towards the end of the movie in which a demon initially chased Bruce and fought with him is seen to suddenly change its focus right when it was about to kill him. Uh, and turned to pursue Brandon, who was off in the distance screaming, you know, Dad, don't get killed, you know, kind of thing. Uh, the demon turns on him and goes after Brandon. Uh, crazy. I got a link to the scene, because you can actually see it online. Um, that came out right before The Crow, and right before Brandon actually died in real life. Uh, number eight, the investigation into Bruce's death took over two months, only fueling conspiracies of a cover-up or foul play. It was weird. Go look into that part. Circumstances of Brandon's death took over two weeks themselves to resolve, okay? Members of the crew initially were reticent to come clean even about the details of how the events unfolded. The movie was low budget. They were under a time crunch. They were trying to get it done. It was being shot in the dead of winter. They had had accidents on set, mishaps on set. People drove cars through parts of the um, backstage areas on set uh, and out of malice, weird shit was going on on the set of The Crow. Um, but eventually they explained that they needed blank shells. They didn't have them on set. They manufactured them out of live rounds that they bought at a local pawn shop. You can take rounds apart. This was a scene with a revolver, by the way. Um, lead tips were removed from... You know, the tips, you take out the powder, you leave a tiny little primer charge and some wadding, and you have a blank, right? Makes a loud bang. Doesn't hurt anybody. You're supposed to sh wear a bulletproof vest when you're shooting the scenes uh, with guns like that. Brandon was not. That's another side note. It's not in my bullet points, but keep it in mind. Um, where was his bulletproof vest? Why is the son of the great Bruce Lee, who's himself an action star, who's on his way to his greatest stardom, um, in a breakthrough role, not being taken care of just a little better by everybody, even if they were on low budget. 
you know, I would think they would want this cash cow to stay alive and do great. Um, but uh, he didn't have a vest on. Anyway, uh, then, you know, they also needed to do a close-up scene like they often do where they show the front of the gun. And you want to show bullet tips in your shells there. So they tell us that in addition to making regular blanks, they made dummy shells, which have lead tips, but no primer at all or powder behind them and use them for a scene already previously on the shoot one of them left a chunk of the tip if not the whole tip in the barrel of the gun supposedly when the actor michael massey uh you know uh the guy who's breaking in to eric draven's apartment to murder him on the night of the uh origin story pulls a trigger the gun had been reloaded from the previous scene not inspected however now we have a blank in behind what is a leftover lead tip from a dummy round different type of blanky thing that blank goes off with yes just a primer charge but it was enough to go through the grocery bag through Brandon Lee's shirt no bulletproof vest into his stomach drops him like a stone it's a 44 caliber bullet tip it's no joke he goes down loses consciousness i don't know if he regained consciousness he was in surgery for the next 12 or more hours and dies himself it was terrible and sad uh beyond belief in both cases they did decide to finish those movies luckily we do have them even game of death is worth having there's a few fun Bruce Lee links at the bottom of the podcast. There's a few Bruce Lee facts at the bottom of the podcast uh, notes. I don't have them all for you uh, right now. Let's keep it under 60 minutes. We're at 58 minutes right now. Thank you to everybody. It's 1.20 a.m. Thank you to my family once again for putting up with me disappearing after I walked in the door tonight the moment I got home after a long night's work. Uh, thank you guys for sitting and listening to uh, me. Uh, I hope you do read the Bruce Lee facts. They're really fun. I'll, I'll tidy them up and read them, proofread them and stuff, and, and uh, share them with the episode. There's a bunch of links at the very, very bottom with uh, interviews uh, with people remembering Bruce, um, and I'll put uh, something in there with him as well. Um, you can find a little bit of this Bruce Lee stuff for free on your like Amazon Primes and Netflix and stuff, but a lot of it you'll have to rent as well. Uh, well worth it if you're just discovering Bruce. Get 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 you know get your learn on kids. Go go watch Gramps. He's amazing. All right, everybody, love you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, until next time, smoke indica. Do shit anyway.